Well, we're almost at the end of our, uh, our little traips, as Andy calls it, through Romans. And last week we did devotion. And this week... Come on. Oh, it would help if I turned it on. We're now at what looks like a bit of a shepherd's hut. But I thank somebody in the break who gave me a prophetic word, and they said they saw that as Christchurch, standing on a hill radiating out to the community. So I'll take that prophecy. Thank you very much. Yeah, let's claim that one. And we've been looking at what, uh, what Paul has had to say about living, about living as Christians, and what our responsibilities are, and, um, and how we get on with people. And in this particular thing, we've got two questions that we're going to tackle, one from one from chapter 13 and one from chapter 14. Chapter 13 is, how do we live godly lives in a, in a secular society? The second question is, how do we relate to each other as Christ's church when everyone is different? So two weighty topics. Um, both questions contain a paradox. And the first paradox is, We're told in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then literally, a chapter later, we're told this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Well, they seem to contradict each other, don't they? I mean, on the one hand... We're told that we've got to not look like the world. But then we're told we've got to obey things in the world. Well, there's the answer. You see, we live here on earth as citizens of earth, but because of Jesus, we're also citizens of heaven. Now, you may think, how can I live in two places at once? Well, it's like this. You see, we've been invited into God's family when we took Jesus as our saviour. And we're citizens of heaven. That's our new identity. But you see, until Jesus returns and creation is restored, God's kingdom is only, is only partially realised. It's not in its fullness. And so we have to continue to live day by day as citizens of earth. So we're both. Now, obviously, that will present some issues. But I think this is quite a good slide, which describes it well. So you've got heaven there on the, on, on the left and earth on the right. And those are the two realms. The bit in the middle with the cross, with the big cross, that's Jesus. And that's when he came in and brought the kingdom down on earth. And then the little crosses that go off, that's the kingdom we are building into the earth. And one day, there will be only one circle. And that will be God's kingdom. Because, as it says in our Lord's Prayer, as, in, as on earth, as in heaven, it will be one. So we're not, 
while we're not to conform to worldly values, we've got to submit to earthly authorities because God has established them to govern us. So what do earthly authorities look like? Well, I'm going to give you a few. Some of them are different from the nine o'clock. Law and order. I think we all agree we need to have that, and we need to obey that. What about parents? (laughs) As a parent, I wholeheartedly say that. What about speed limits? Well, now we're, now we're getting a bit controversial, aren't we? Oh, and red lights, yes. Teachers. Yeah. I see Stuart clapping at the back. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> Doctors and nurses. Yeah, the doctor knows best. Oh, there's, now there's, there's somebody that uh, makes us wriggle in our seats a bit, doesn't it? The tax man. What about parking restrictions? <laughs> there's the boss. And what is particularly galling is when the boss is a lot younger than you and less experienced. <sighs> Referees. VAR not included. And we got vicars. That's a very old picture. One of them's a bishop now. But I think actually that doubly applies. Well, whether we like it or not, authorities have been created by God, and the warning is clear. Whoever rebels against authority also rebels against what God has instituted. And worse still, we can expect judgment if we don't obey that authority. And the one in authority is God's agent for good. That's a bit tough, isn't it? And if we look at our government, would we say they're an agent for good? Or if we look at governments around the world... Are they all governments for are they all agents for good? We'd be hard pressed to see that of many of the world's leaders, let's be honest. But we are to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. And I'm afraid that does mean paying taxes as well. And it's an issue that Jesus had to deal with. When he was asked by the Pharisees, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And what was his reply? He said this, show me a denarius, a Roman coin. And he said, whose image and description is on it? And the Pharisees said, well, it's Caesar's. So he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We are to pay taxes, I'm afraid. And Romans 13, 7 says it there, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. God 
God is anti-rebellion. And we need to live peaceably as we can, respecting others and obeying earthly authorities. But it's also important that we do something else. We contribute to society. And that means sometimes we will come in this tension when we actually have to challenge authority. We have to say we need to take a stand where we see injustice, where we see inequality, when we see evil that may be lurking in our society. Paul says in Ephesians, we're to live as people of the light. We are light shining in a dark world. And I'm afraid that will sometimes bring us against authorities that may be there. So that's the tension that we have. And we know around the world... There are Christians, we're fortunate, we're able to worship freely as we want to. But in other countries, that's not, that's not what it is. They're persecuted if they meet. Many meet underground in secret. Are they defying their authorities? Well, their authorities probably will think so. They define the government, maybe. It's a difficult one. And I think probably for us, we, don't ex- we haven't had that in this country. But we did have something in COVID. don't know whether you remember COVID. And our government said, you can't meet together. Should we as church have challenged that more? Should we have said, should we have disobeyed it and met It's not always black and white. The thing is, though, if we do choose to take a stand against a God-instituted authority, we need to know we're doing it for the right reasons. As children of light against injustice, against inequality and evil that contradicts God's laws. And we need the wisdom of Scripture and the discernment of the Holy Spirit to do that. Because, as I said, God doesn't take rebellion lightly. So let's move on to our second paradox. And this one concerns community. And Psalm 133 says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. In unity. Well, there's that word community. And you'll notice that unity is part of it. Funnily enough. Community in the Old Testament was really simple. You followed the law. It was written down black and white. That's how you live in community. But we don't live in that now. We live under the new covenant. And community is 
is defined by the kingdom of God and it is written in love. Now we may argue that that's not quite so clear, but if you look at the New Testament, Paul and many other writers keep telling us how we live together in Christ. It's a message that goes on and on and on. We live in unity as one community. Well, let me ask you, do you think the global church looks like a body of unity? Probably not. Okay, let's shrink it in. Does our national church look like a body of unity? Catholics, Protestants, all the other denominations? Maybe not. Okay, we're going to shrink again. Does the Church of England look like a body of unity? No. And this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Does CCB look like a body of unity? Thank you, Andy. (laughs) Well, the reality is the other side of the paradox. See, yeah, we are one body, but as that last sentence said, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We're not all the same. We're unique because God has created us as individual beings. And the paradox is, how can a wonderfully diverse community of people achieve unity when the problem is people? (laughs) Well, I never thought, I'd be in church talking about vegetarian options. But here we are in Romans 14. And Romans 14, uh, Paul was, um, was speaking to the Christians in Rome because a dispute had risen up. And he said this, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now we might think that's a bit confusing. Does he he have a preference for meat eaters? But we're kind of missing the point here. You see, he's not targeting Jewish Christians because they, with the law, they ate only certain things. I mean, they did eat meat as well. And he's not actually targeting those Gentile Christians who maybe used to eat meat and went vegetarian because they ate meat that was blessed by idols. No, he's not doing that. What he's trying to say is, he's trying to break down the walls that the early Christians loved to put up showing the differences among their communities. And essentially, he's saying look, some of us do this this way, and some of us do this this way. Let's just acknowledge that we are different individually. But he's also firm. 
by saying that we must learn to live together without looking at one another disrespectfully or implying that God is more pleased with one form of behaviour than another. I love this from the message. This is how the message puts it. Let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? That's a great way of putting that. I mean, that's a question for us. Are we going to let these little things, like new chairs, divide us? Well, it's amazing how these things do trip us up. And I remember, um, it was when they were changing the services, a long time ago. Um, The services that we have now, they're from a thing called Common Worship. And one of the things that the new services did was change the Lord's Prayer. And I loved the Lord's Prayer on the old version. I hated the new version. And I would sit in church at the back, muttering under my breath the old version as everyone else said the new version. And do you know what happened? One morning I'm sitting in church and it was like a physical tap on my shoulder as we went into the Lord's Prayer. And the Holy Spirit said to me, isn't it better we all say the same thing? And he was right. And I was convicted of my rebellion there and then. And I said, sorry, Lord, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry for sowing seeds of division. Because that's what that is. And there may be things that each one of you, you know, bits that you like in the service and bits that you don't, and, you know, you get a bit hot under the collar about it. Lay it down. It's not important. It really isn't important. So why do we do that? Well, because we're different. And let's be honest, church isn't perfect and neither are we. We aren't always unified in our, in our views about how we like things to be done. And our ideas and preferences, they're based on all sorts of things. Experiences, backgrounds, cultures, everything, what we've been used to. And sometimes we need to look at those. Because that's what the Roman church was like. And we need to better understand our community. I mean, I'd like to take a moment now, and I think you should as well. Look round at you all. Just have a look around the church. I mean, what a diverse community we have here. But you know what? It wasn't always like this. When I first came to this church, this looked very different. This looked very typically, this part of London is what it looked like. And it has changed. 
And I praise God for that. I really do. Because I think what it's done is, it's challenged me to change. It's challenged me to look at others and say, you know what? You're different than me, but you've got great gifts. You've got something to offer that I didn't know about. You've got life experiences that I couldn't even begin to understand. And they're important. And they make our, they make our community richer. Don't they? And that's what God's saying. That's what he's saying in all of this. You see, with diversity, though, will come challenge. Because it means that I have to learn to live a 